This is the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goes bit swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Back at it on a Friday night. Also back at it this weekend is going to be City SC. The international break has come to an end, and they are going to return to action to wrap up the regular season when they take on Seattle tomorrow night. Uh, on the call on Apple TV Plus and MLS Season Pass will be uh, Brian Dunseth, and he uh, joins us right now via the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. Brian, thanks so much for taking some time with us today. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Doing all right. How tough is it to um, go through kind of uh, basically a th- close to three week break because of the international calendar, and then mm. play just one final regular season game before rolling into the playoffs? I mean, less than ideal, but it is what it is. And and thankfully, every team has to kind of figure out ways to navigate this. What I would say is there's a, a silver lining in that conversation is while you're not having the rhythm and the pace of games that you're used to and or you want, at least it affords the opportunity for a couple of players in terms of rest, recuperation, and the recovery process from a long, long season. So, yeah, there's good, there's bad, there's a little bit of ugly, but I think in reality everybody understands what's on the line uh, with St. Louis City FC, an incredible year in expansion. Lutz and Bradley have done an incredible job arcing what this roster looks like, what this roster has been capable of doing. And I think most importantly – now an opportunity to put on a show at home, full three points in the back pocket, and break the expansion points record that was set a few years ago by LAFC back in 2018. Last thing on the break, and then we'll move on because I know it's not the most important thing, but I just, as someone who played as long as you did, in a hypothetical situation, if you were playing for a team that was not had, had zero chance to be a playoff team, would it be hard to be motivated for that final regular season game when it's meaningless coming off such a long break? No, it shouldn't be because okay. your job's on the line. All right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, a lot of these general managers and sporting directors, head coaches have already have a good idea of the decisions and the tough decisions that they're going to make in the offseason with regards to either rewarding players with big, new, long extensions or moving in opposite directions. Um, but I've always said, even if you're in a, in a team, and I've certainly been in this situation in the past that isn't competing for a playoff spot, one of the things you can do is control your own destiny. And the only time that you can really control your own destiny in your future is the performance that you put in. And that performance certainly could help your team that you're playing for um, and and go out egotistically on a bit of a high after the disappointment of missing out on playoffs. But more importantly, you know, you put yourself on a pedestal, you showcase, you show a little bit of heart, a little soul, a little bit of character, and that certainly um, could change your your fortunes in the offseason should there be a club that's interested in your services. For City, since clinching the playoff spot, they, they played that scoreless draw against LAFC, which was which mm-hmm. a nice performance. They lose to Minnesota. They come back. They had a really nice game uh, against Sporting KC, and then they get shut out by Vancouver, and that's that month leading into this long break, and now they're going to wrap up uh, against Seattle coming up tomorrow. Uh, what 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 did you see from this team in, in the final few weeks where maybe the results, especially Minnesota and Vancouver matchups, where the results were not equal to what they'd done for much of the season? Yeah, I would take Vancouver out of the conversation because there was heavy rotation. Um, you know, it was three games in, in seven days. And when you have to travel up and play on the artificial surface in Vancouver, I think the, the starting 11 was cognizant of what Bradley Carnell was dealing with in terms of managing uh, the amount of minutes and, and kind of the workload at that stage of the season. Um, and Minnesota is just an odd one. I mean, you, you talk about Minnesota and LA, or excuse me, and Real Salt Lake are two teams that have losing records at home. 
and winning records away from home. Um, so, you know, the, the, the Minnesota United game is just a, a, a weird anomaly in a season where I think right now the focus for Bradley Carnell was, okay, we've clinched. We're clearly the best team in the Western Conference. We're doing it in our expansion year. We've got incredible support and fandom at City Park. So how now can we, can we figure out the right way to fine-tune all of the negatives that we want to see turn into positives or that we need to see positives uh, heading into the playoff race? Um, but also, you know, be, be mindful of the players' bodies and recognition. So um, I would say at this stage of the season, there's enough experience in that roster that has been in Major League Soccer previous to understand that when the leaves starts to change and it gets a little bit cooler, um, the mentality really starts to show. It's less about the physicality. It's more about the mentality and turning into that, that, playoff, uh, that playoff psychology that everyone's always excited about. So they've got the 56 points that they are the top seed in the Western Conference. You just made the point about them being the top team. How do you how do you view them, though? I mean, are, are they the favorite on the Western side of things going into the playoffs? Or are you still looking at a team like LAFC? Well, I think LAFC has the sweat equity of being not only the champion, but also recognizing top to bottom what that roster consists of. And in particular, Denny Bowanga, leading goal scorer in Golden Boot. Uh, most likely Golden Boot winner when it's all said and done after the weekend, and Carlos Vela. And then you throw in a guy like Chiellini and, and 130-some caps with Italy and what like 14 years playing for Juve. Um, so they are the team that nobody wants to face. What's interesting about St. Louis City SC is you are clearly the most consistent performer in the Western Conference in a really, really, really difficult Western Conference to navigate. You've done it in an expansion year. You figured it out individually and collectively, but we're still not sure what the litmus test is going to tell us when we get into the playoffs. Um, so an incredible season, but I would also, I, I, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd also reference what we saw from the New England Revolution three years ago, what we saw from the Colorado Rapids three years ago, where they were clearly two teams in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference that were better than everyone else in the regular season, but they ended up getting knocked out in the very first game of the playoffs once they finally entered so there's a blessing and a curse to the success of the regular season. But I think the outliers, we're not sure how these players are going to react in the playoffs. So that's why I would still say the one team that you do not want to face right now would be LAFC because of the experience in that team. As they match up against Seattle, do they keep it in the back of their mind that in, in short order they could potentially see Seattle again? Um, yeah, but uh, you know, it's funny. I was having this conversation with Jordan Morris today. Uh, you know, you, you, and Brian Smetzer, you, uh, which is the the attacking goal scorer, U.S. international for Seattle Sounders, and the head coach for the Seattle Sounders. At this stage of the season, you kind of get you have a good idea who everyone is. Um, there, there's there's not really a lot of surprises outside. Maybe some tactical shapes, some identities, playing with three in the back, five in the back, four in the back, things like that. Um, but everyone kind of knows each other. You know what you're kind of up against. Um, and, and there's no there's no easy way, and there's no easy path to get to an MLS Cup final. Um, so I certainly believe that when you take into account the first game at Seattle early in the season, they were far from the finished product that they are right now. So for St. Louis, I think there's there's more concern heading into this match for Seattle and how they can perform and how they want to make sure that they can lock up second place, and they're going to need a little bit of help with Vancouver trying to solidify their playoff spot, and LAFC 
trying to figure out if they can get three points on the road in Vancouver and lock up the second position. So a ton to play for. But, yeah, you, you're, you're definitely taking those Polaroids and understanding what the strengths and the weaknesses are of Seattle through the course of these 90 minutes knowing that there is a chance you could hit him in the playoffs. Ryan Dunseth's going to be the analyst on the uh, Apple TV broadcast of uh, the City game coming up uh, tomorrow, by the way. Uh, it is free for everybody who wants to uh, be able to uh, watch it tomorrow on Apple TV. So uh, just uh, Apple TV app, online tv.apple.com. I-, I know you've done City games. Have you done games in St. Louis already this year? Yeah, this will be my, I believe, my fourth game. Um, I, I also did a U.S. men's national team game there as well um, against Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed my time, and, and the fandom and the atmosphere in that stadium is incredible. What do you tell people when when people ask you, what's it like being in St. Louis for a city game? What's the first thing you say? Yeah, I, I just think I say atmosphere. Um, you know, we, we, we have a – well, first off, the stadium is incredible. Um, the details inside of the stadium and outside of the stadium are incredible. Um, and just kind of understanding – and being a kid from Southern California that was in the U.S. youth national teams and having so many people from the West Coast and the East Coast, and we always had a handful of St. Louis guys, and the history, you know, the histrionics of St. Louis players in U.S. soccer, in Major League Soccer, um, I was always acutely aware, but I'd never felt the atmosphere because St. Louis wasn't involved in Major League Soccer. Um, but to see the stadium, to see the atmosphere, to see the supporter culture, to see the nuance and the understanding of the fans, like when to kind of get on the referee, when to have a moan about or a moan and a groan when their team's not doing well. Um, it, it is a very, very educated fan base, and it's it's a, it's a it's one of my top five environments in Major League Soccer. Last thing for you, been here a few times. Is there any food now that you have to get when you come to St. Louis? Uh, I mean, the raviolis is okay. what everyone talks about. Uh, but it's funny, Matt. I, I work with Max Bretos on the call, and one time at the beginning of the season, he was kind of complaining that we. We didn't make it to a couple different spots. So now uh, some of the staff members in St. Louis end up bringing some of the uh, the food truck food up to the booth for us to kind of try out. So we, uh, we are enjoying all the cultural additives that come from the food side inside that stadium as we kind of make our way around the, the, the city on Saturday and then uh, kind of tasting the culture and the lifestyle at the stadium uh, right before kickoff. We try to be welcoming, Brian. We love it when people come in here. Oh, I love it, man. It's one of my favorite stops, and I can't wait. Brian, thanks so much for the time. Have a great call, great work all season long. The first year for Apple TV and the MLC uh, season pass uh, package has been uh, absolutely awesome for soccer fans uh, in, in the United States, and, and really appreciate taking a few moments with us today. I always like enjoying it, but enjoying it. So appreciate it, my man. Thanks for uh, giving me a few minutes. You bet. Absolutely. That's Brian Dunseth. He is going to be on the call uh, on the Apple TV broadcast again. Uh, absolutely free. Free. So you, if you have not, if you did not take the plunge and uh, subscribe to uh, MLS Season Pass, you can watch it for free. Of course, we'll have it on our sister station, Y98. That'll be the radio broadcast of it. Uh, you can always uh, overlay the radio broadcast on top of it. That's part of the Apple TV package. Uh, so uh, you can flip back and forth, or uh, you can watch it once with the uh, Apple broadcasters and then watch it again with the Y98 broadcasters. There's a lot that you can do, and uh, the Apple TV folks are uh, amazing at what they do and uh, the way they're able to integrate the, uh, the local broadcast into it as well. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, well, first off, quick update and this is a big one uh the 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 astros lead the rangers you heard that right everything that's happened if you've kind of been 
just sort of following along casually with what's going on. Uh, the Rangers had that 4-2 lead. Jose Altuve, three-run home run, ninth inning, and Houston has a 5-4 lead. Almost a home run a moment ago for the Rangers. That would have been a three-run walk-off home run. Kyle, who I looked down for a second. Who was that that almost hit that? It was Corey Seager. He hit okay. it to the warning track, like 410 dead center. <sighs> All right. So uh, this game might be over when we come back from this break. We'll tell you what happened there. We'll also uh, get you some audio from Craig Berube coming up in just a moment. Nate Gatter will join us later on in the hour. It's Grave Our Sports Open Line on KMOX. Back at it on a gray bar sports open line. Well, it has gone final. The Astros have defeated the Rangers by a 5-4 score in one of the more eventful games that you're going to see. And if the Astros win this series, they now lead 3-2 with the next two games being played in Houston. Um, This is the game. And Dusty Baker, who was thrown out of the game, video cameras have actually caught him Kind of back in the dugout area. I'll be interested to see if Major League Baseball does anything. Remember, was it um, was it Terry Collins, the Mets manager, who put on the Groucho Mark sunglasses and came back out? That was it was, uh, it was Bobby Valentine. Was it Bobby Valentine? That's yeah. who it was. Oh, okay, I, I remember when that happened. Like, it's kind of a big deal. You're, you're not supposed to be back now. The cameras caught it. Like, once the game ends, are you in fair game? Are you allowed to go where uh, wherever wherever you want? Um, why did I say Terry Collins? Of course it wasn't Terry Collins. He was just there. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the rules are. Like when you get thrown out of a game, you're not allowed to be in the dugout. The moment the game ends is, are, are you allowed back in the dugout in that moment? Because video cameras clearly saw him like sticking his head around a, uh, Around a uh, uh, you know a door frame or whatever, watching what was going on. I would guess baseball is probably not going to do anything, but it's just what a weird, weird set of events and turn of events that uh, that went on with this one. And uh, that's just the first game of the night. The NLCS it's already underway. Top of the second inning, uh, Phillies and Diamondbacks. Uh, that game is currently scoreless. All right, let's talk some St. Louis Blues hockey. Whew, last night it was rough, really rough. A six-two loss to the Coyotes in a uh, really a non-competitive kind of game. And it was disappointing to see. Uh, we talked about this when we opened up the show. Effort issue versus like execution issue. Uh, if you listen to Craig Berube, it was more about the execution. Uh, but he did. He spoke with the media today uh, after practice. And he admitted it was a bad night. Not a lot went well. Maybe nothing went well out of last night's game. Not a lot. I mean... It is what it is. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't start the game well, you know, and the first period was the first period, and we kind of got we got exposed in some areas last night um, that we haven't yet. So um, we cleaned them up today with video and had a good practice. So we need a we need a better game tomorrow. That's for sure. I guess the benefit, if there is a benefit, is if that game happens this early on in the season, it gives you some really good teaching points and talking points and and an opportunity to use some video the way they did today. You don't want a performance like that popping up 50 games into the season. uh, So they're able to to deal with it and look at it. You still don't like it. I mean, that was a, that was a a bad performance and and teams have bad performances during the year. 
Uh, but Ruby went on to kind of explain what he thought went wrong in the game. We lost our structure in that game in the in the D zone. Um, we didn't do a very good job. Like puck goes low to high, back down. We our wings didn't recover. Um, our sentiment wasn't in the hole well enough. But that sustained zone time is just us not being aggressive when kill plays and kill plays and get out of our zone. You know, like you did do in the first two. Yeah, we were flat. Like you know, like I talked last night. We just we weren't on our toes with killing plays. And then when you don't kill plays, they get rolling around. They got some good skill. You know, it makes it difficult. So we got to be aggressive in the zone. We got to kill plays, and when we come up with a puck, we got to advance it. We got to go defense to offense quicker than we are right now. Well, last game. As far as generating more ozone time, what do you feel like needs to improve? Got to have the puck more. <laughs> like it's it's as simple as that, pretty much. I mean, well, I mean, there's other facets of it too, but. You know, for me, we didn't have the puck enough. And then when we did have it, you know, there wasn't this speed up the ice togetherness, you know. We were kind of one and done type deal or we chipped to an area and we had no speed on it. So they broke it out too easily. Now we're out of the, they're out of the zone and, you know, just wasn't connected very well. So that was a very X's and O's answer to what went wrong, which is great. And I appreciate that. And I think it's important to listen to those things and, and get an idea of what's going wrong at any given moment. I think if you watch that game and and I'm as guilty as anybody else, you see that type of performance. And I think the initial reaction is to go into is, is there an effort issue or is the team not putting in the effort that they need to? And like we talked about at the beginning of the show, there's a difference between effort and execution. Now, I think when you talk about effort, you can also talk about the the mental, the cognitive side of the game. If you are having breakdowns, uh, is, is it a physical issue or is it a mental issue? And I would argue that more often than not, uh, if, if you're having a, a breakdown on the defensive side of the ice, well, then that's because you're not in the right spot or whatever it might be. But I thought this was a really interesting answer uh, when Craig Burby talked about uh, whether or not it was more of an execution issue or if it was an effort issue in the game last night. It doesn't look as good, that's for sure. Um, and you get exposed, you know, when you're not connected. Um, you know, they're a quick team. they got good skaters over there. So when you're not connected, you're, you're not right on top of things, you're not predictable, well, you're giving them time and space with the puck, and then they're, they look like real quick. <laughs> and we didn't look very quick last night. I don't think it was a work ethic issue last night. I just think that, you know, like I said, we weren't very connected um, as a five-man unit anywhere. And, you know, our puck play, you know, wasn't very good. I mean, connection with passes or, like I said, putting people on an island by themselves and they get squeezed out and they get the puck back right away. That was probably the word connected or connection, some some version of that word that was used by Craig Berube more than any other word when he when he spoke today. So again, that that's connected to execution. Uh, one area that you really need to have execution if you want to win games and score goals was when you get the opportunity on a power play. One power play group was okay. One power play group was not okay. The second group with with Blay and Hayes, uh, Verana, Saad, Falk, that group 
was all right on the power play. The Thomas Shin Kapanen group with Kyrun Krug, uh, not as good. And Baruby did spend some time kind of comparing what the what the second group, the better group, what they were doing versus what the first group wasn't doing. That second power play, that unit that went out there, Hayes unit, they had a direct mentality. Shoot the puck, recover it, attack, shoot it. Um, the other unit right now is too cute and too many missed passes, not execution is not very good. You know, they got to execute and you got to make flat passes, got to move it quick, and there's got to be a, a shot mentality of getting pucks to the net and then recovering them. And right now they don't have that. Sort of on that same note, you've mentioned in the past that when it comes to shots on goal, you value quality over quantity. On the power play, does that change at all? Do you want more pucks than a normal 5-on-5? Well, you, there's a man advantage. You should be able to get a little more pucks to the net. That's for sure. you got opportunities with 5-on-4 or whatever it is. So, um, you know, shot quality, the guys on the power play, if they're in the right position, the quality shots are going to get, the shots are going to get are quality. They're good shots because where they're supposed to be, they're in the house, they're in position, they're inside the dots. Those are good shots. I thought that was a really interesting question there because, again, shot quality over shot quantity is an important thing. You want to put legitimate shots on goal. You want to give your chance, um, your team a chance to score goals. And if you're just getting into your offensive zone and just throwing the puck on net. Yeah, occasionally you'll get a rebound or occasionally the goalie will make a mistake and something will go through, but that's that's not the plan. That's not why you, you try to set yourself up for really good shots. But the question was asked, does that change a little bit on the power play? Because when you're on the power play, you've got at least one more guy on the ice. Does that mean that you know, you're, you're probably – going to be able to do a better job of keeping the puck in your zone is it less about getting those quality shots and more about just getting the puck on net as often as possible and maybe that will turn into a rebound maybe uh, maybe you do that enough times and you do get those ugly type goals and I don't know if Craig Berube completely answered the uh, the question the way that it was meant to be asked but Clearly, there's still more of a focus on getting the quality shots. And he basically said, yeah, you're going to get more You're going to get more shots on goal when you're on the power play because you're on the power play. But the idea is still to be in position to put good shots on goal. Uh, last thing from him before we uh, move on. Uh, I thought defensively, the Blues had done a nice job in the first two games. Yesterday, obviously, not so much. Uh, top six defensemen right now, Letty, Pareko, Krug, Falk, Scandella, and Tucker. Uh, and really most of the pressure going on those top four guys in Letty Pareko, Krug, and Falk. Is there any thought after yesterday's game to maybe give somebody else an opportunity on the blue line? I think it's a long year right now. This is the six we're going with, and, we, you know, right now I don't, I don't – I don't see a change yet on it, um, and it's hard for the guys who are not playing, but it is what it is. You got to bide your time, and I like the size uh, Tucker and Scandella bring last night. I thought Scandy's best game was last night. You know, I thought he had a pretty solid game, and uh, you know, I like what Tucker brings. He brings physicality and and some bite to the game back there. 
So that's Craig Berube after the Blues lose yesterday. We'll see if they have a bounce back in them. Tomorrow they are going to uh, match up against the Penguins. Presumably Jordan Bennington is going to be back in goal. We'll take a break, and when we return, our own Nate Gatter is going to uh, join us. We'll talk City. We'll talk a little Mizzou with him as well. Who knows what else we'll talk about with Nate. He's with us next as we roll on with the Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. This is the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goldsmith swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Back at it here on a Friday night, continuing to keep you updated on what's going on in the baseball playoffs earlier in a really entertaining game with a lot of things that happened. Astros beat the Rangers 5-4. Houston has won three in a row. The road game is won, road team has won every game in that series, and it's now heading back to Houston with the Astros up 3-2. Phillies and Diamondbacks game is uh, currently scoreless in the second inning. Philly leads that series two games to one. We're headed back to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. We're able to uh, welcome in a friend of the program. You hear him right here on KMOX with the uh, St. Louis City Soccer Report and doing other various things at various times. He is our good friend, Nate Gatter. Hey, Nate, how are you? I'm good, Matt. How you doing? I am good. Uh, I... Th- the three-week international break leading into just one dangling regular season game left is weird. Uh, I, the MLS can't control these international breaks, but I think to a lot of people, especially who are not totally understanding of the way the international soccer schedule sits, it's a weird thing. How would you assess, explain, uh, determine the impact of this? Well, so normally it's not supposed to be this long. Part of this was just for City that it became longer because of how their schedule is. So for some other teams, this break was shorter. For instance, MLS had a game on Wednesday, three games last Saturday, and essentially a full uh, slate of games the Saturday prior. So it, ju- it just worked out this way for City. At the very least, uh, uh, almost every other team played on the 7th, so only having essentially one weekend off in between. Um, you know, that's just how it goes. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for City. Uh, if this were a higher magnitude game, maybe. But I think at this point, City uh, would probably be at least grateful enough for the 17 days off, what it does for them from a health and fitness standpoint, that they can probably take the trade off of whatever rust they might carry into uh, tomorrow night's game against Seattle and, and have to knock off heading into the postseason. But these are the benefits, again, of being the number one seed, that Bradley Carnell can, can do a lot. Not that they, the result won't be important for them tomorrow night. I'm sure they'll want to prove that they can beat Seattle because uh, I still look at Seattle and LAFC as the two stiffest pieces of competition for City in the Western Conference, and City have not beaten either of those clubs. They've played them three times. They've conceded six combined goals. They haven't scored. The only point they got was from the nil-nil draw at home against LAFC a couple of weeks back. So I think there is something on the line for them uh, on Saturday. There's also something as far as the seeding in the overall table. We know they'll be the number one seed in the West. They could potentially be as low as the fifth highest team by point total overall, as high as the third. And that could matter if they were to reach MLS Cup for determining home field in terms of how many teams uh, they could host versus how many teams they'd have to travel to play in the event they made it that far. Obviously, that's a long way away. The other benefit here to being the number one seed is not only can they, can they tinker a little bit on Saturday and, well, caring about the result, prioritize readiness for the playoffs, they're also going to get either the eight or the nine seed at home to start the playoffs, which is not a walkover. MLS has a great deal of parity, and, and we've seen City lay some eggs at, at times that they shouldn't, although rarely at home. I think 
between having a game that is at least more meaningful for what it does for their rhythm than what it does for them in the table to finish the regular season and then the benefit of playing the lowest-seeded remaining team in the Western Conference to start the playoffs, when you get those two things back-to-back, I don't think the layoff is going to hurt them immensely. Would you expect heavy substitution or is it maybe light substitution, but just make sure every kind of core player that could be involved in the postseason gets some legit time? Uh, yeah, I think it. I think you'll see normal. I mean, I think they'll use all five of their substitutions as they do virtually every game. I don't think you'll see rotation in the starting eleven. I think you'll see Bradley Carnell put out pretty much his best starting eleven, um, probably the starting eleven he imagines at this point that he will use in the first game of the playoffs. That would be my expectation, um, and he's taking this Seattle game seriously. I, he was. I said it on our show last weekend. His comments to the media last week when they got together for the first time uh, for full media availability since the Vancouver loss back on October 4th, I thought his tone and some of his comments were as short as I've heard him. I thought there was some frustration with how they played against Vancouver, and, and he was not mincing words about it, that he was disappointed. And even though that game didn't mean a whole lot for City at that stage based on having already clinched the number one seed, I think he was disappointed and frustrated with their performance and a little bit concerned because you're going to have to have some good performances on the road probably at some point, potentially as soon as, as the first round when it's the best two out of three. Uh, City have the benefit of playing much more often at City Park uh, the rest of the way than, a, than not. But, it, you know, it's important to be able to put in a good performance away when you need it. And, and in general, I think he just had concerns after that game. I think he's very grateful to have one more regular season game. Had the playoffs been starting shortly after that, I don't think he would have been a happy man. Um, so I, I think he's gotten his message across with the players. I think they know that that, that game against Vancouver was not acceptable, and he's expecting a, a much better performance on Saturday. As long as he gets that better performance, I would imagine he'll feel okay going into the playoffs. I certainly would feel fine even if that good performance only leads to a draw instead of a win. It, it's not a game where you're too worried about uh, we didn't get a bounce here or there and a win turned into a draw. Obviously, you'd love to have the win, but the priority is is the real core substance of the performance. Do you think it's challenging for him to go through this two-and-a-half-week period where there's still a regular season game left and you still want to uh, prepare for that game, but obviously everybody inside of that organization has to have an eye on, on the playoffs? Yes and no. I think in, in some ways that's maybe where getting thrashed in Vancouver benefits them, that, that they know a performance like that would, would not be pretty in the playoffs and they want to refocus. Um, the most challenging part for him, I imagine, is that he hasn't had his entire team together with Jabulo Blom away with South Africa. Indiana Vasilev has been away uh, with the, the U.S. Uh, team that's, that's getting ready for the Olympics and uh, going through Olympic qualifying. So uh, I think uh, just having a couple of key pieces away is probably the thing that would, would irritate him the most at this stage, but though obviously he's happy for both of them, and, and the club have been clear time and time again that they want to be supportive of players' ambitions and, and never stand in a player's way um, of, of improving their career and taking the next step. Um, but, you know, getting everybody together this week and getting ready for that Seattle game, I, I think it's an important game just based on playoff readiness, and I, I think he looks at it that way. Um, you know, if I think they, coming off of that Vancouver game, there's a bad taste in your mouth, even if you already have the number one seed, because, you know, any team, if you, if you get beaten the way they did, that's going to set off some concerns. 
So in my mind, he's done what he can to keep the level of intensity up. I mean, City even put out on social media from training this week that he was not totally happy with something he was seeing in a drill, and he just jumped in, and he was doing it himself. And he was playing at what would qualify as full speed by by a practice standpoint. And, uh, you know, again, to me – He's doing what he can with his words and, in that instance, with his actions to try to make sure the intensity level is where it needs to be. The other good news for City, and I've said this consistently on our show, if there's one theme from this season that I've taken away for City, it's that when they've needed to get right, when they've had a bad game or a bad stretch, the best elixir for them, the best magic potion to get them feeling better has been a night game at City Park against the big opponent. When, when the crowd is hyped and when there's, when there's a lot of energy and excitement and, and hullabaloo around a home night game, that's generally been when you see City at their, at their best. And so I think all of those things, combined with Bradley Carnell's pushing on them, will, will give you a, a much more motivated City on Saturday night, ready to show that, that they're sharp for the playoffs and, and going to take all comers. You are officially required to work in the word hullabaloo every time we talk from now on. Yes. Okay. I thought you'd like that. Yep, it was solid. I, I, I commend you for it. Uh, big show coming up on Sunday. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, we're going to be out there down around City Park. It's a huge weekend for them. Started today uh, with the, the uh, fan appreciation stuff that they're doing around City Park. Party today, party tomorrow. And then uh, we're going to be getting the playoffs launched, essentially, on Sunday. And uh, Jan and I will be down there. I know we'll talk to Dale Shilley. I think we're going to have some, some players, coaches, other, other folks from the club who will join us. Uh, we hope a lot of fans will be down there as well around City Park tomorrow afternoon. Just have a couple minutes left, but real quick, Missouri football, my good. I, I thought last week's win against Kentucky was as big of a win as they've had this year when you just think where the direction the season could have gone had they lost that. Now South Carolina coming up tomorrow seems like a very winnable game for them. Uh, it, it, if these two weeks are the crossroads moment of the season, it, it really feels like the Tigers are positioned well. I'll tell you, Matt, um, I, I'm still not over the LSU game. I think a little piece of my soul departed my body when I watched <laughs> the football come out of Brady Cook's hand going the wrong direction on that third and six. Uh, but the Kentucky performance was fantastic. I think a lot of people who don't follow this program closely don't realize just how difficult Kentucky has been for Mizzou over recent years, how often something random has gone wrong, how often the officiating has seemed to really crush Mizzou in crucial moments against Kentucky. It's funny to have them back-to-back, too, because if there are two teams that Missouri just never seems to catch a break against, it's Kentucky and South Carolina, to me. So I am terrified about the game tomorrow. Homecoming, everybody's feeling good, coming off a big win on the road, pretty heavily favored, especially as far as SEC games go. I think they win, but I would be surprised if they don't trail at some point tomorrow, and they're going to have to take a shot in the mouth at some point from a South Carolina team that is really hungry after a, a game that did not go how they wanted last weekend against Florida. Second largest point spread in the SEC tomorrow. Yeah, I think that's a mistake. I mean, okay. I, I'm not saying I would, I would take South Carolina plus the 7.5 or 8 or whatever it's at now, uh, but I would be surprised if South Carolina doesn't lead at some point in the game. Uh, and it wouldn't even shock me if South Carolina leads in the second half just because this is – I hope I'm wrong. This is Mizzou fan speaking more than analysts. I don't have technical reasons for this. I'm just telling you as a Mizzou fan – it feels this certain way. Early on in the week, I was like, oh, yeah, South Carolina, we're going to crush them. And then around Thursday, it occurred to me, that's always how I feel before a loss that just takes all the wind out of our sails. So I, I'm, still, I'm still feeling good. Don't get me wrong. I still, I'm really happy and proud of what they've done so far. 
Uh, they, they bounce back. What I've told myself to get over the LSU loss is that they were probably going to have to beat Georgia anyway if they wanted to get themselves into the playoffs. So whether that's true or not, it's what I've been telling myself. Um, I, I feel that Mizzou still controls its own destiny at this point. Obviously, there's a big, big asterisk because how much does anybody control their own destiny when they have to go to Athens and play Georgia on the road? But we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. For now, it's South Carolina. And uh, I tell you what, maybe it's because I've followed women's basketball so closely since I was an undergrad and that rivalry was really, really heated. But I take a ton of satisfaction in beating South Carolina and uh, I'd love to hang a big number on him tomorrow. All right. Nate Gatter will be listening on Sunday for the uh, St. Louis State Soccer Report. Always appreciate your time. We'll catch up real soon. Appreciate you, Matt. All right. That's uh, Nate Gatter joining us. We appreciate him taking some time, by the way, noon to two for that special uh, edition of the St. Louis City Soccer Report. We'll take one more break. We'll come back. We'll get a preview of tonight's Rachel Zimmerman show here on KMOX. It is a great bar sports open line here on KMOX starting to wrap things up tonight. It is week number three of the Rachel Zimmerman show. That's going to be coming your way a little bit more than an hour from now at uh, nine o'clock after the takeout. We always like to have Rachel in here on the final segment. What do you know? Kevin Wheeler is hanging out here too. <laughs> yeah, what the heck, man? We're all why here. am I here? It's uh, a party. It's a Friday night. Why am I here? I don't know why you're Rachel's here. Rachel's the star. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool for Rachel to have this show, it's isn't awesome. it? Let's just and like, let's dote on Rachel for a second yeah. while uh-huh. she stands here. Let's embarrass her. Yeah. Well, she was really mean to me. <laughs> <laughs> on the DGS earlier today, so I'll make so her rude. feel even worse by just saying how wonderful of a person she he's, is and how great her show is. He's what? piling coals upon my yeah. head. Like the, the the compliment that I can give to Rach that's really easy is even when she's that, like that's the meanest thing I've heard you say today. And it's like 10 times nicer than anything I say on it a was, daily basis. I would say it was more passive aggressive than mean. <laughs> it was kind of compassionate in a uh, in a feel sorry for you kind yeah, of way. Yeah. yeah. Like so so like to for people that didn't hear it, like Matt. Matt doesn't know anything about Halloween yep. or scary movies, and the whole game was about fall and Halloween stuff, and there were some categories where you were uh, not great. Lost. Was struggling. Lost. <laughs> and I said, I'll let you pick whatever you think you're going to be best at. <laughs> and as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, that was bad. That wasn't nice. Oh. So, Rachel, what's coming up on the show tonight? Oh, I'm really excited about tonight's show. So it's uh, my friend, former Missouri Senator Jeff Smith. Um, So Jeff uh, was a Missouri senator, actually ended up going to prison for a year and a day in Kentucky, and now advocates for prison reform um, in his private life, like after the fact. So he has a great story. We go pretty in-depth in the interview and just talk about like his time in prison, what needs to change in the prison system. So it's a it's a good one. I'm excited to present this one tonight. It's one of the things I think you have, um, just the way you live your life and like the way you view the world. We talked about this a little bit last week. You do look at things generally through a positive thing. So you're talking about a guy who spent time in jail, and jail reform is a tough topic. Yeah. And I I love the fact that you're finding kind of the positives in it. Well, uh, Jeff tells me about how he had to stay in that positive uh, headspace whenever he was in prison or else he just wasn't going to get through it. So he just kept himself in that state of mind and kept himself as uplifted as he possibly could during his sentence. Wills, how long would you last in prison? I'd run the place (laughs) after about a week, man. (laughs) You walk in the first day, you find the big guy, beat him up, and then you're fine. Do you think you could beat up the big guy? Probably not. Yeah, I don't think I could be the maybe, big maybe, guy. Yeah, no, no. I might be I gonna, the big guy. And I, I still was going to say maybe 20 years ago, but no. <laughs> no. Fair enough. No. So nine, I just find the nearest people that will be nice to me. Okay. Well, be careful. Find a way to people on the outside. Are, people on the outside that will give them money. 
All right. Uh, 9 o'clock tonight, 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Correct. What's been, uh, I, I asked you this last week, but I'll ask you again, you're three weeks in. What's been kind of the reaction that you've gotten from people since the start of the oh, show? Oh, people have been so nice, so complimentary. I haven't heard anyone be mean to me, so maybe that'll come tonight. I don't know. Maybe you should be mean to her, Matt. <laughs> uh, maybe. No, I can't. I just have to keep making her feel by, bad by being so nice to her after she was mean to me earlier. Oh. Just saying. I feel right. bad about that, Matt. I'm no, sorry. you don't have to feel bad. It's uh, it's all in fun. Well, have a great show. Thanks Thank for you. coming in. Wheels, thanks for being here just randomly. Still know why I'm here, yeah, but you're here. <laughs> Happy you know to join what? in. It's uh, it's the DGS plus three hours, I guess. I never stop. All right. Uh, yeah, that's Rachel Zimmerman. She's on tonight and tomorrow morning with the Rachel Zimmerman Show. Kevin Wheeler was here. I'm Matt Pauley. This has been Sports Open Line. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Have a great weekend. You're on KMOX.